You know, there was a time when talking with my wife had all the appeal of root canal. Sometimes my house seemed like a war zone and my kids were the enemy. Even at my job, I was trampled on, overworked, underpaid. Then I talked to my doctor and learned I was one of millions of Americans suffering from RHD, Relational Harmony Disorder. He told me about a little yellow pill that could change my life. If you are currently experiencing difficulty in your relationships, it may be time to talk to your doctor about Harmonex. This single yellow pill taken daily can change disorder and chaos into tranquility and joy. A single yellow pill. RHD is a serious condition and needs to be dealt with by a medical professional. I used to have trouble relating to people, but now thanks to Harmonex, I don't have to. Harmonex is a prescription medication and may not be suitable for everyone. There have been some negative results with Harmonex and side effects may occur. If your wife is pregnant or has a pregnant friend, you should begin taking Harmonex immediately. You should not handle guns or knives in the house before taking Harmonex. Memory loss, loss of liver function, or the mysterious appearance of Rod Serling may occur. The FDA and Dr. Phil have not approved these statements, and you would be a fool to think a pill can solve your issues. Talk to your doctor. Harmonex. Achieve perfect harmony without all the work. Harmonex will be available in the bookstore at the conclusion of the service. I wonder how many of you would admit that you've had a communication conflict with someone this week? All right, now, just to get the rest of you along here, how many of you have had a communication conflict at some point in your life? Anybody? All right. How many of you have had communication conflict with somebody that you honestly, deeply love? All right. So, as opposed to that famous movie from my childhood, Love Story, love means never having to say you're sorry, we know that's a load of bunk, don't we? In fact, sometimes our conflict with the people we love is much more profound. How many of you would say you've had a communication conflict with a Christian? Sure. So, would you agree with me that just the fact that we've been forgiven and transformed by the blood of Jesus doesn't mean that we aren't still works in progress? How many of you have had communication conflict with professional communicators? For instance, teachers, pastors, um, <laughs> uh, teachers, pastors, professors, lawyers. Anybody ever had a conflict with a professional communicator? So would you agree that just being a professional communicator does not in itself guarantee on any level that real communication will occur in those relationships. The scripture says that the power of life and death, the power to bless and curse, is in the tongue. Everything about life is about relationships, loving God, loving one another, loving our neighbor, and communication is at the heart of all relationships. And there's only one real path, and that's hard work, because we live in a broken world. You and I are broken people. We're going to have conflict. And what we're going to see this morning is that the condition of life, the condition of our hearts that God intended us to have, out of which our relationships were meant to be, doesn't exist today. So when we try to effectively build relationship, we're starting behind already. How do we catch up? How do we get back to where God intended us to be in order for real authentic communication to occur. So today we're just going to look at that. We're going to look at how God intended it to be and how it got so bad. The beautiful thing is that Scripture has an awful lot to say about our relationships, has a lot to say about our communication. 
And so today we're going to set the groundwork for it by looking in Genesis chapter 2. So I encourage you to turn there with me. Genesis chapter 2, we're going to look at how things were meant to be. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. And the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found, which in my opinion is why Adam was tasked with naming all the creatures so that he could see how God intended life to be and realize he was incomplete, whereas all the other creatures had suitable partners. Adam was alone. See, the first time in the creation account that God stops saying it's good, and he says, it's not good. Then when he makes a helpmeet, a partner for Adam, God says, it's very good. I think that one of the reasons the man was created first was because if it was a woman who was created first, she'd have been fine. <laughs> Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. So the Lord God created the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man." For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, clearly, we're looking at a marital, the very first marital relationship here. So there's language and descriptions that are unique to the marriage setting. But yet the relational dynamic that Adam and Eve experienced, and that's described here, before the fall, had the fall not occurred, those very dynamics would have continued. So picture a world like that. First of all, let's look at the life that God intended in creation. We see this very fulfilling, satisfying work. They were to take care of the earth. What else did they have? They had this compelling purpose. What was the mission that God gave Adam and Eve? Yeah. <laughs> Be fruitful and multiply. Contrary to popular opinion, sexuality was not the first sin. God intended it to be awesome. It was the prime commission. It was the prime directive. Be fruitful and multiply. No wonder Adam called Eve, whoa, man. <laughs> so he had this very fulfilling work. He had this compelling purpose that he was on earth for. And he had a perfect relationship with his creator, the friendship with God. Beautiful life. So now out of that, they also had relational dynamics between the two of them. Let me boil it down to three things that I think were true of Adam and Eve and had it not been for the fall would have continued to be true for all of us. And it's rooted in three phrases. And I'm going to take them backwards, but the phrases are, the two became one flesh, they were naked, and they were without shame. So I'm going to reverse those. The first one is, as you said, innocence. 
there was no shame. Just imagine being in a relationship where you have absolutely no guilt, nothing to hide, no history, nothing to have to get past each other, no shame. The second was authenticity. They were naked. I mean, how much more authentic could you get? There was a perfect knowing of each other, nothing to hide. And the third thing is true intimacy, this idea of one flesh. Of course, that's speaking about the marital union, but it also speaks about the fact that because I have nothing to be ashamed of, because I am completely known by you, and there's nothing hidden, we can have true intimacy to the point, I love that, that thought, you know, the marriage union is one flesh being as though two people are lost into one. Think about that relationally. That we could be at a point where we really do finish each other's statements and it's not an interruption. We honestly know each other that well. That's a really powerful experience in a relationship. Now, if we had that dynamic, don't you think communication would have come pretty easy? If we had that life, if we had work that was fulfilling and God was providing, if we had this compelling mission that we knew we were a part of, that God had tasked us with, we knew God's purpose for our life, and we had this, this friendship with God that was without bounds, and then we had these dynamics within each other, boy, that would make it easy, wouldn't it? But that's not where we are, because something went very wrong. And we move on to the next chapter to look at it. That's Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it, and then The eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked, so that they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. When the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, (laughs) she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is it you have done? And the woman said, "The, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. This is the first messianic prophecy of Christ who would come and destroy the work of Satan. But we now go on, and he turns to the woman. 
I will greatly increase your pains in childbirth. With pain you will give birth to the children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. What a dramatic transition. Let's look, first of all, at how the life that God had intended was destroyed. We talked about three things that were part of this life for which you and I were intended. The first was this rewarding work, right? Work to put our hands to that God had wired us for, that was fulfilling. What became of that rewarding work? Instead of working the land with God's blessing, the land being a partner to us, the land becomes an enemy, and now we eat from toil and sweat through thorns. So the work is corrupted, Now it just becomes hard labor. The second area is that fulfilling mission that was ours to procreate and to fill the earth. And now it moves from that to being pain in childbirth. In fact, the very relationship that was meant to literally birth the human race was corrupted as well. Because God says to Eve, your desire will be for your husband. That word desire does not mean desire for him as a person, but desire for his position for who he is. And so the conflict of the sexes, all of that is part of the fallenness of the race. So this male dominance, this female competition for superiority is at the core of our relational brokenness that comes in the way of the prime directive to be fruitful and multiply. And now for women, pain and childbirth. See? What happens to their relationship with God, this friendship with God? Adam, where are you? Expulsion from the garden, the place where man walked with God. Isaiah 59, your sins have put a separation between you and me. Your iniquities have caused me to turn my face from you. I don't even hear you. So that life for which we were created is lost to us in its totality. No wonder we live under such stress. During our year of looking for God's will in our life, Vit and I went through what's called the Myers-Briggs personality profile. Anybody ever gone through that? And we discovered that on outside appearances, we're very much the same. On internal stuff, we're complete opposites. It took us 32 years to figure that out. <laughs> Praise God we survived. But one of the things that Myers-Briggs talks about is how we each are in the grip In other words, we're all wired a certain way, and when we're not in the natural sweet spot of our lives, we're we're in a place where tension shows up, and we don't relate well to people around us. In some sense, all of us live in the grip. It's in the grip of sin, our broken relationship with God and with each other. No wonder it's hard to be in the relationships that we hunger for. But now, that being the case, let's look at the relational dynamics that occur as well. There was loss of innocence. Now, I I just want to address this because there's this idea going around that somehow sin was always part of God's intended plan. We had to fall in order for us to know right from wrong. But that's not what this is saying. 
We need to learn the difference between knowing right from wrong and experientially knowing good and evil. Did Adam and Eve know right and wrong before the fall? Absolutely. It was a very short list, but they knew there was right and they knew there was wrong. So when it says that the day you eat of it, you will know, you will experience good and evil, it means that the impact of not only good, which existed before the fall, but now evil will be something that will be a reality in your life. That is ruinous to us. It was not necessary. We might argue theologically it was inevitable. I don't know that. I know that God saw it coming since before creation and remedied it through the cross of Christ. But my point here is that God is not behind, God is not the orchestrator of our moral brokenness. We live in this awareness, this impact of both good and evil in our lives. Imagine what it would have been like if we only knew good, but that's lost to us. So loss of innocence. Second, shame. They knew that they were naked. Third, there's hiding as a result of shame. There's hiding from each other. They covered themselves, and then they also hid from God. Finally, what do you have? You have loss of innocence, shame, hiding, and then blaming. It wasn't me. It was the woman. And the woman said, it wasn't me. It was the serpent. Blaming. What a, what a state. This is the state that you and I are born into and out of which we attempt to live this life and to relate to each other. You totally get it. Yeah. So you see, we don't even start at even. Now, here's what I want to suggest to you. Based on that, I think a lot of what we choose to say that we call communication is as much about what we're hiding and what we're running from and what we don't want to reveal as much as it is about what we're trying to say. Because we are perpetually hiding Inside all of us is fear, something to be protected. We are forever blaming because we have inherited all of that brokenness. How often do you say something to somebody and you know full well it's not what you're thinking because we're still hiding and protecting ourselves? How do we catch up? How do we get back to where God intended us to be? I want to tell you, you and I cannot do that on our own. We are too broken. There's only one path to becoming the kind of people that not only communicate correctly with God and hear from him, but communicate truth and love to one another. And like all of our brokenness, the path to getting back on track is right through the cross of Jesus. So how do we get to where we were meant to be? Well, I want to take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Two slides, let's say them together. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. There's two terms I want you to see in this, in the context of our conversation today. The first is new creation. We looked at the original creation. We saw how it was broken. What does the gospel do? It recreates us. So we become positionally in Christ what God intended us to be. 
we have been, and that's the second term, reconciled. Do you hear relationships in in that term? Reconciled. We are reconciled to God first and foremost. We have our guilt atoned for. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No shame, no need to hide. All that is eradicated because of the work of Christ. And what that means is that gives us the complete capacity now to fulfill God's mission for us on earth. Although by this point, it's a new mission It's about multiplying a race of Jesus followers. So the cross makes that possible. But reconciliation is a much bigger concept than just being made right with God. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. We've been reconciled to God. And then he goes on and says, and now he has given us that ministry of reconciliation. Our task is to be the voice of God, the means of grace, and the message of the cross, the hands and feet of Jesus, reconciling people to God, but also living in reconciliation. See? I want to be very clear here. The only hope to achieving the relationships that God intended us to have with him and with each other is by being in relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the starting point. It's what wipes the slate clean. It's what allows us to come out behind our locked doors in our heart because Christ has broken into them and said, look, there's nothing you're ashamed of that I don't know already and none of it makes me love you any less than I do right now. It's the grace of God that allows Christ to come in and shatter the places that we hold out of guilt that we think no one should know and Christ says, I know that and I died for it and I don't condemn you. See, it's only in that posture that we can finally let go and be able to reach out to each other with that authenticity because we are fully accepted by God in Christ. And that lets me approach you without the neediness that I would otherwise have. It lets me approach you without setting you up to be so disappointing to me because Christ has filled that core in my life. That's where we begin. In future weeks, we'll look at how to move from that context of a fresh beginning into new redemptive relationships and conversation with each other. But this is a a perfect place for us to be at this point this morning because we are going to celebrate the Lord's table. And what a great time to focus on the reconciling work of Christ through the cross. Of course, it's primarily about peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But how often does the Apostle Paul take that very idea of peace with God and extend it to us when he greets his uh, congregations as he writes to them? Grace and peace to you through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is the context for authentic relationships. So let's focus on the peace of God that was made available through the sacrificial work of Christ on the cross. All right? Let's just pray silently for a a moment or two.